Right now, it is time for Graham Tackett. Uh, he is in the Wellington studio to talk about what he's been watching and whether we should. Kia ora, Graham. How are you going? Hey, how are you doing? Good to have yeah. you. Um, no. A new it's voice Friday. in the headphones. Yeah, another new voice. That's me. That's me. Uh, um, how, how's, what, have you got a nice weekend planned? I think I have. I know. I mean, I'm one of those people who bought a van a couple of years ago, and like oh. every t- the minute you buy a van, everyone you've ever met in your life buys a couch. So <laughs> I know I'm I'm giving a couple of friends hands to move house over the weekend, but that'll be fun. What did you buy the van for? I think just maybe to improve my social life. All right, <laughs> seems to have worked. <laughs> so, so you bought a van? Is it to transport? You can actually live in it or no, take yeah. it away on trips. The, honestly, the idea was it was going to be something I could go and crash in the back of when I went to music festivals and such like. Yeah, you're right. And then yeah. I found since COVID, I haven't had any desire to ever go back to another music festival. It's like, <laughs> I don't want to be that close to that many muddy people again in my life. So now I've got this beautiful, great big Volkswagen van doing absolutely nothing except toting Ch- friends' couches Ch- around yeah. every week. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, my son bought a very old van. He's 19 and has um, been doing it up, and, and he's uh, set me with the task of making some curtains for it so he can go to the said music festivals. <laughs> <laughs> so that's possibly what I'll be doing at the weekend. That sounds like fun. That's a, yes. that's a worthy and valid thing to be doing. That's right. That's yep. right. But when I have some downtime, or maybe while I'm sewing, I yep. might want to watch a movie. Or are these movies that we have to go to the theatre and see? Oh, just thinking about that, I think one of these you can probably probably stream now and the other two will still be theater only okay so tell, we'll us, st- tell us about them right yeah. we'll, look, we'll start stupid and we'll get better okay, <laughs> okay. so we're going to start with the nun two <laughs> the nun like n-u-n nun. yeah 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 okay not n-o-n-e no, right okay. although it is like it's you know it's it's nun two it's nun two flash right <laughs> um the nun two is the i'm just looking this up on the phone as we speak it is the i think the ninth film in what's called the conjuring universe oh right yes ah, oh my gosh on? another big, big my, my my son again he's yeah. a big fan of the conjuring uh, me and your boy are going to get on just yeah. fine I think. <laughs> Look, um the conjuring universe started with a film called the conjuring back in all oh, about a decade ago yeah. um loose um, when i say loosely i mean we need a new adjective here but very loosely based on the alleged cases of a couple american couple called ed and Lorraine Warren, who uh, during the 50s, 60s and 70s managed to convince America that they were paranormal paranormal investigators. <laughs> and they had things like the Amityville hauntings and that sort of... Right. Yeah. Like most, uh, most dispassionate observers who've gone in and looked at their cases and their case files have gone fair play to them. They were just a couple of absolute chances that spun a good story and made, found a way of making a living out of it like they had they they didn't solve poltergeists and ghosts they created narratives and positioned themselves in those narratives and then wrote bestsellers and fair play to them yeah but uh, so the conjuring was loosely 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 based on one of their case files and i think the films have departed further and further away from what they claim happened since uh the nun came out i'm gonna say 20 18 i think i don't have this down in front of me but it was like it was set in the 1950s or in romania and hungary Mm. there was a demonic uh, ghost of a nun i guess you'd say um who was uh causing all sorts of uh trouble with a in a nunnery 
And um, that sort of mm-hmm. ended, as horror movies do, with a blatant setup for part two. Right. Just like, hey, if this sells a lot of tickets, we've got the sequel all ready to go here. And sure enough, The Nun made a lot of money. Um, I so- just totally missed that one, Graham. I mean, I, you know, I don't mind a good horror, yeah. but I totally missed The Nun one. Yeah, I think I think the, 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 the important part of that sentence is where you said good horror. Like this right, is, okay, right. these these aren't great. <laughs> right. Like, but at the same time, so here comes the Nun Two, and to my adult mind, it's a slightly better film than the first one. I think it's got a slightly better story. It's very much it's a production line R sixteen horror from what we call the Conjuring universe. I mean, what what we're going to laughingly refer to as the plot is an excuse <laughs> to get a bunch of set pieces of like something leaping out from a sh- from the shadows and going boo, or leaping out from behind the shadows and actually ripping your head off, um, and then you get like five minutes of explanatory dialogue, maybe a bit of light flirtation between a couple of people, one of whom is going to get killed, and then bang back to another set piece. And they are ruthlessly efficient at doing that. And you look back, you go, well, actually, that's what horror movies do. Mm. They have a set piece and then a little bit of plot, a little bit of dialogue, a little bit of character development, and then bang, straight to another set piece. And whether you're talking like a classic like The Omen or The Exorcist or Jaws, like that's, that is the blueprint that horror movies all conform to. What is important is the quality of the set pieces and the quality of the character development that comes in between the set pieces. That's all that matters. Mm. And The Nun 2 is a very slightly better film than The Nun. What I am going to say about these films, like the funny thing about The Nun is she really isn't that frightening at all. Like it, it literally is somebody in a nun costume with some black and white makeup on. Like, I have seen... I don't know, nuns seem pretty frightening to me, to be honest. <laughs> this, this is always between us and our therapist, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah, right, yeah. I, don't ha- I, got, I got nun phobias about that. Um, but I, I will say, look, I've seen more frightening apparitions walking down the main street of Paikokoriki on Halloween night than I have the actual nun. Right. Like, to my mind, she looks like a slightly malnourished panda. But... <laughs> But all around the nun, like what I've always loved about these so-called Conjuring Universe films, and I know back in the days when I used to occasionally go on a junket to talk about a movie, I was in Los Angeles for a couple of days at the release of, I think it was The Conjuring 2, and we got walked around this, you know, got to meet the actors and hang out with Miranda Otto for tea and stuff, and it was all very nice. But we also got walked around a couple of the sets, and got to talk to, oh. uh, in my case, I got to talk to one of the set builders or set designers and again, these people in the art department. And what really blew me away is I'm walking around this construct, this um, reproduction of a 19th century farmhouse, it was, I think, or a 1920s farmhouse, was like the walls were solid, the timber mantelpiece and whatever was actually made out of timber. And I'm admiring like this beautiful mm. faded very, very arts and crafts wallpaper on, in, on the set. And they were like, yes, yeah, we had that designed and had it hand printed. I'm like, this is what I like about these films. Like, They're mm. not good films, but they're very good filmmaking. They've got beautiful set design. The costumes are literally hand-stitched. Mm. The makeup is fantastic. The hair say, design, all of the, yeah. all of the technical details, the unflashy stuff that no one notices or talks about unless you have been lucky enough to be on a few film sets in your life. And then you start to notice 
not not the quality of the film, but the craft of the film. Yeah. And I will, what I will say mm-hmm. about the Conjuring film and the Nun Two is a great example of it. Is like as a film, it's a load of it's a load of rubbish. Yeah, your nineteen year old son will probably love it. <laughs> it's a classic R sixteen production line boilerplate supernatural spooky horror movie that deserves that deserves as R sixteen. If you're not interested in R sixteen slasher horror movies, what well, horror movies with, with a bit of violence, you're not going to like this film, and you're not going to be interested in it, and you're going to dismiss it. As a load of teenage rubbish, but if you if you happen to see it and you're looking closely at the screen, just notice the fact that the sets are constructed out of timber and you actually could bang a nail into them, and that the wall you know somebody designed that wallpaper and somebody really carefully positioned all those little objects and bits and pieces on the mantelpieces and the shelves. It's yeah. like there's a lot of craft on screen. It doesn't need to be there because the film would probably make the same box office without it, but somebody cares enough to do it. Yeah. And that's what I like about the films. Yeah. Is the cost- I like the costuming and the sets and the design of them. Mm. So I think actually you'd have the most fun in the art department creating some of those sets. Oh. Uh, 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 you know, yeah. uh, my, my experience of, of, of a film set is the people having the most fun over and above the actors are generally the art department and the set yeah. dressers. So yeah, they, they've, got a, they've got a great job and they know it. It's, <laughs> Okay. Very tough job, but <laughs> tough they, job, very tough. But job. you also mm. get to see the results of your labour in a way that yeah. not every job on a film set um, provides you. Yeah, I, I, before we move on to the next one, um, X and Pearl that were made here and, yeah. and uh, largely filmed in, in Whanganui. Yes, um, you know the the, the detail because they ended up using some of the I think it was um, you know it was the the, the wetter people who were in downtime. They oh, yeah. used all of their skilled people to create the blood and gore and. Well, for a month or two there, the, the X and Pearl set, especially the X set, was it was literally the only um, it was the only film set running in the, in the known, oh, during in COVID the known world because yes, they managed to shoot during COVID or in, in, in that right. tiny window when New Zealand was free of COVID and yeah. the rest of the Western world was still go home stay home. Yeah, amazing. Uh, and, and production right, I mean, I know people, mm. I know many people who worked on those films, and they will come back saying the same thing. It's like we they sourced these beautiful we are period. Um, perfect cars, wallpapers, furnishings, mm. costuming. It's like that. A lot of care goes into that stuff. Even yeah. if the script is rubbish, even if the film is rubbish, find something else fabulous about it. I'm sorry, we're, we're running out of time, and we've yeah. only covered one. Okay, but um, what, what's the next one? Let's Wait. talk. Um, building bridges isn't going to yep. get an, as the the amount of attention that it should. Um, building bridges is a really nicely done sort of 85, 82 minute documentary portrait um, by director John Christoffels. He has done a really lovely job on um, documenting something of the life of Bill Uren who is a Y-O-U-R-E-N, who's somebody who really deserves an RNZ deep dive story if he hasn't had one already. Bill Urin was a son of a Hawke's Bay banking family. He graduated first class honours, went to Victoria, went to Auckland, studied in Australia for a while, I think, as well, admitted to the bar at the age of 22, 23. By the time he was like 25, he was like, nah, don't want to be a lawyer, going to be a farmer. And went to the work on family farm in the Hawke's Bay called Waiiti. Um... From there, he becomes politically conscious, um, very politically conscious. He has always been, you know, all of his life he was, committed socialist, became fascinated with Mao's China, mm. tr- uh, became multilinguist, lived in China, traveled there, became very, very disenfranchised with what was happening in China in the 1950s, as so many sort of young, young members, young Communist Party members did, but at the same time knew that what was happening in the rest of the world wasn't right either, spent his life trying to chart that sort of middle way between the the excesses that he saw on both sides of the political spectrum 
loving, devoted husband, brilliant sheep farmer, father of three, just a really, really fascinating, very New Zealand life, incredibly well lived. And those three decades, you know, the 50s, 60s, 70s, up into the early 1980s, Bill Urine was just somebody who really should be a lot better known and who in a, in a better world than this would probably have a couple of streets named after him, you know? But wow. because he was on the left-hand side of the political spectrum and tried to do, always do the right thing by the working classes, those aren't the people that raise to the heights where we get streets named after us, you know? It's um, Building Bridges, a portrait of Bill Uren, is if you get a chance to see it on a decent-sized screen, just grab it. It's 80 minutes of your life. You'll learn a lot. Just a, a three-decade slab of New Zealand social history Fabulous. that is worth through the prism of the life of Bill Uren. Um, just a really enjoyable film. Great. So that's Building Bridges. It'll be out streaming soon, but uh, if you can see it on a decent-sized screen, there's some beautiful like um, Kiwi archive um, mm. footage in there. He was a, a, a committed 8 millimeter cinematographer himself. Beautiful oh, footage all the way Excellent. through it. Just Excellent. a lovely film. Hardly recommend. Okay, and uh, quickly, the Past Lives. Look, I'll just give you 10 seconds on Past Lives. <laughs> Past Lives is a Korean-Canadian, I think, American co-production. It's a love triangle between a Korean... Uh, an ex-Korean couple and the woman, the man that the woman has now married, all set in New York City. It's just a rhapsodic, heartbreaking, oh. lovely film that sort of interrogates the idea of like that we don't have one true love in our life, but at some point we're going to have to choose between like the life we could have and the life we do have. Uh, it's probably the best film I've seen this year. So wow. that's past okay. lives. Is that's a, a recommendation. A, just wow. a lovely, not exactly heartbreaking, but heart twisting, um, dra- dra- achingly romantic drama. Beautiful film. Where do, where do we see that, Graham? Uh, past lives is on limited release. Look, if you live in a big city with a decent small small cinema, you'll you'll be able to find a screening of Past Lives. Okay, and someone has just texted in saying, uh, nice to hear Graham giving ups to the art department. Yay, apparently Weta had basically zero to do with Pearl and X. Oh, um, okay. but, well, but, yeah. No, no, but the people who would have been working for Weta otherwise, they otherwise, were yeah, that. Ab- let's yeah. clarify that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonderful, Graham Tuckett. Um, some wonderful recommendations there. Past lives, uh, building bridges. And the nun too. None too shabby. <laughs> None too shabby. Wonderful. Graham Tucker. Yeah, you have a great weekend. Okay, cheers. See ya.